Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Arwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 64. It doesn't take her long. She extends her wings to their full 14-foot span casually as she settles herself in one of the velvet chairs. I request your unambiguous and explicit permission, stabilized by writing that it may be reflected upon and confirmed in further writing, to use an economic magic of the third standard degree of economic magic complexity, called suggestion in Taldane translating to suggestion in baseline by this magical means of translation, she says. In baseline, obviously. It would take too long to say in Taldane and make Keltham very uncomfortable if spoken in infernal. The economic magic under discussion causes the target's mind to be externally influenced and proceed in such fashion as to end up containing thoughts chosen by the causal originator of the economic magic, these thoughts being not distinguished to introspection from thoughts arising naturally, moreover lending these thoughts a quality by which they seem believable and other thoughts will flow into conformance with them, and if done skillfully and by a powerful caster, this may be unnoticed even retrospectively. Keltham hopes Carissa has comprehend languages prepared, but even if she doesn't, yeah, like hell is he doing this in Taldane. This would of course depend on the content and duration of that suggestion, both as economic magic proper, and with regards to persistent after-effects, if any. In this there is an obvious obstacle, which is that being informed of the exact content of the suggestion would seem to make it rather harder to work upon me in a fashion that changed thoughts about it would pass through my validity tests and other habitual internal checksums. I furthermore remark that the basic purpose of this test is to demonstrate that Cheliacs has clearly had powerful options that it properly and deontologically refrained from using on me to their just credit and credibility. The more this demonstration would tend to show that I could have been persistently deluded about important matters and great decisions, never triggering in me a moment of reflection and realization sufficient to overcome the spell, the more credit and credibility is thereby due to Cheliacs. Have you your own suggested resolution to these problem constraints and figures of merit? I propose that you agree to my casting the suggestion at any point in the ensuing conversation, with the precise nature of the suggestion not agreed upon in advance, but disclosed to you and dispelled at the conclusion of the conversation, at which point you can introspect on how far you think the suggestion could have altered your thinking unnoticed. The duration of a suggestion is, as you should be able to observe from the spell structure, two hours per caster circle. There exist other economic magics with longer-lasting or even permanent effects, but those we do not disclose or demonstrate. Clarification. I am not able to deduce full coverage of all dangerous-appearing edge cases from the state of affairs you describe. Is the primary support against safety edge cases here meant to be the innocuousness of the suggestion, or the thoroughness by which you expect me to be able to notice and rethink those influenced thoughts once the spell is dispelled, or both with each independently sufficient, or both with the two only together sufficient? And is the means by which my knowledge of this coverage is obtained to be simply your assurance that these are your own expectations with respect to innocuousness, thoroughness of rethinkability, or both? He'll do so well in hell if they can get him there. My intent is to use a suggestion with no far-reaching implications, such that its innocuousness is a sufficient safety precaution, 
and one that will be notable when pointed out, such that your ability to rethink should be sufficient, says Lirilatha evenly. I don't know of a method beyond my assurance with respect to my own expectations by which you could arrive at satisfaction with the coverage of our approach, but I can enable one if you have one in mind. Acceptable with appropriate further assurances about these compulsions, having no further intended consequences, except those which arise from Keltham's own meta-level reasoning about the demonstration and its effects, and that Lorilatha cannot think of anything which she knows about this spell and its possibilities, which Keltham probably does not, which would probably be an unpleasant surprise to him, relevant to the particular casting of it which she will make. Keltham will remain accepting of all this if it's written down so he can write his acquiescence. She can offer those assurances. And now, if I may change the subject for the purpose of obscuring when precisely I will cast the suggestion, and assuring you, so that this conversation can actually be productive, that I don't intend to cast it to alter your thinking on the actual topic under deliberation, but on a random incidental. I reviewed your proposal for a mouse project to develop male contraception. There are two things that affect uptake in the general population of a new option, how expensive it is, and how much it requires basic capacity to function in the world. For example, a contraceptive option that requires a person to go in once a week for an appointment, even if the appointment is free, will be effective only for the approximately 30% of humans who can do something once a week in order to achieve their long-term goals. Keltham is not actually an unreasonably smart person and can't think about two things at once like that. Unless, of course, his belief that he can't think about two things at once is, no, any skill like that would have needed to have been developed by practice. Is his thought correct that maybe this degree of meta-level distraction is itself what he was suggested into and is going to result in him ignoring something much more obvious? I'm sorry. I can try to listen if you keep talking, but you'll probably need to repeat everything. After I'm out of my retrospectively inevitable mind-control meta-level panic thrashing. Of course. There is no rush, and you have a great deal to think about and pay attention to right now, Contessa Lorelatha says evenly, in the same tone she's been negotiating in. Other things are much more important to pay attention to than the person who is going to walk into the room in a moment, I said, and she repeats herself. While she does, the door appears to open, and a gnome appears to enter, trot up to Carissa, and start nibbling on her fingers. This is a higher save DC than it'd be for something easier to overlook, but Contessa Lorelatha is very good at enchantments. Yeah, no kidding. He's got to figure out where the mind control is. Keltham does manage to say back in a distracted way that people need to eat at least once a week, so he's not seeing how those people aren't already dead. He wouldn't actually say this if not meta-level thrashing, wait, is saying stupid things without internally editing them better? Maybe what he was suggested into... Well, you know, if you don't eat, you get hungry. If you forget your contraception appointment, all the consequences are longer term than that. She thinks that in order to actually improve Cheliax's heredity situation, which they already thought was kind of an emergency and have now, based on Keltham's Description of Dathilan concluded is even more of an emergency than that. They need something simple enough that people with INT5 can't mess it up and cheap enough the government can afford to pay for it for them. The gnome leaves. His meta-level thrashing is starting to calm slightly, as it turns out that most of the burst of things he tries panickedly to do get marked as unproductive, unless, of course, that was the suggestion. But still, it's quieting down. 
He feels like he can respond to this on sheer reflex if he can talk in baseline. Civilization had that, too high on tech ladder. Obviously, I've been thinking about how to jump it with magic, but I know too little magic. Need to make a material with persistent strange properties, teleport it into an exact part of male anatomy. Wait, was he not supposed to reveal that without being paid? No, it shouldn't be that. That has persistent consequences beyond the meta level. She nods. I'm going to cast Dispel Magic now. And she does so. The suggestion that I made to you was to consider it uninteresting that while we were having a very important conversation, a gnome appeared to enter the room and nibble Carissa's fingers. Shit, Keltham yells in baseline. He quickly calms himself. Yeah, okay. If you can do that for hours at a time, indefinitely renewed, you could have fucked with me impressively, and without needing to be elaborate about it. Good deontology. Well, at least one of Cheliax and Asmodeus has good deontology. Asmodeus comprehends how agents ought to make interaction among one another possible, and has dedicated himself for the last fifteen years to attempting to bring that knowledge to Cheliax. It is our dearly held hope that now he has found a way to say it that mortals can understand. I understand your permission to cast suggestion, conditional for this experiment, to have been withdrawn, and will not attempt it again without again negotiating your express agreement. He should have caught that too. Yeah, it was fairly implicit in the scope. Fairly implicit is not good enough. Point made. May I have your assurance that, to the best of your own knowledge, no spells with a remotely similar function have been cast on me, with the exception of the Nidal spell that I resisted during their attack. To the best of my knowledge, no spells with a remotely similar function have been cast on you with the exception of the Nidal spell that you resisted during the attack. The number of people who know such spells and could cast them on you undetected is not large in Cheliax. I believe that it would be known to me if any of them had cast this spell or any similar one on you, and all of them know that it has been expressly prohibited by Asmodeus beyond such prohibitions as apply ordinarily in the ordinary course of Chelish law, which are not trivial. To say the implicit explicitly, it is not the case that any third-circle wizard can do this to me. They need to be substantially more powerful to beat whatever resistance I have, and do that undetected? That is correct. A third-circle wizard attempting this against a fourth-circle cleric would be detected instantaneously, not even retroactively, in more than half of cases and my best guess is that they would certainly be detected retroactively in virtually all of the rest. Detecting the spell retroactively isn't usually considered hard, unless the caster's skill is unparalleled. The degree of skill necessary to cast the spell undetectably with decent reliability is possessed only by myself, the queen herself, and perhaps a handful of other casters in Cheliax, all of whom are deployed elsewhere. If you would like, your Carissa can be taught the spell so you can experience having it cast on you by a third circle caster, even a skilled one. If that decision isn't urgent, I will hold off on it. I try to avoid making impulse decisions about mind control. Nor is this next decision an impulsive one. Carissa Sevar, are you understanding these words? What? Yes. I have, on my understanding of the understanding between myself and Cheliax, some informal credit with the Chelish government in exchange for that not intended to be proprietary information I have already been providing to you. I call due some small part of that informal credit now, if any such credit is needed. I have not yet come to decisions regarding my having children here. 
but it has been represented to me by Carissa Savar that use of the spell alter self to male is sufficient to reliably prevent and terminate female pregnancy. I ask you to affirm whether this is so. In Dath Ilan, were a child between us developing within her, either the mother or the father would independently have the legal right to terminate that pregnancy, up to half the standard pregnancy duration, after which it requires consent of both parties. I know not what standard legal protections exist here, but I would have a contract negotiated between myself, Carissa, Cheliax, and potentially other female parties to become signatory, which says that, if a pregnancy is not past half the standard duration of pregnancy, I have the right to demand that Carissa Sever, or other parties to be added, cast alter self as needed in my opinion to prevent pregnancies that might have come from me. Being a party to this contract may be terminated at will by myself, but by them only after casting alter self in a fashion sufficient to prevent any pregnancy that might exist, including latent pregnancies requiring casting after a delay, if those are a thing. Moreover, should the other party simply refuse to cast that spell, the Chalish government will at my demand terminate that pregnancy at once, by such forcible external means as may be standard, up to and including their death and resurrection, if there are no simpler means. Nor may a party to this contract leave the reach of Chelish governance without either my consent or having terminated this contract first, including any castings of alter self required to terminate that contract. If there's anything I missed there in order to have sex safely and without worrying about a child that only one of us wanted, please say so. Carissa, if there's anything I'm missing from your own perspective, please say so too. It seems also to me that you, Contessa Lurilatha, write these contracts easily, and that it is not very much of an informal favor at all to ask you to write this one in Taldane. But if I am wrong about that, and it requires a greater informal favor than I realize, please say so. The amount of additional anti-child security he can get through any precautions weirder than that does not seem worth mentioning. Given both what they can do with suggestions and haven't, and that if they were being really clever, they could have gotten his precious bodily fluids via the oral sex he already had. You can be more paranoid anywhere, but not all marginal paranoia is marginally useful. Carissa has the most romantic boyfriend. He does things like request the queen's personal irinies, write a contract guaranteeing his right to force her to terminate a pregnancy. How is he so wonderful? Damn it, that's a feelings-deadening duration of, like, three hours? Maybe this is why hell takes a thousand years to get anywhere with mortal souls. What delightful progress, especially since abortion is evil past twelve weeks and half is farther than that. I affirm what Sivar told you and would be willing, as only a small informal favor, to write such for you. Hug of Carissa. Please do. And then, if it doesn't take more than informally 2% of the informal credit I already have with Cheliax as an upper bound, rather than the price per se, I would have you sign the agreement on behalf of Cheliax, if that is something you can do without other authorization. I mostly do not expect that Chelish governance will ever end up needing to enforce any part of this, to be clear given that the fallback exists in the first place. And so the expected actual cost to you is, I hope, quite low. I expect so, Contessa Lurilatha agrees. 
So you are aware, in Chiliacs, in the context of a relationship such as yours with Sivar, the decision to terminate a pregnancy would typically be yours up to the moment of birth. I am going to write in the contract that this agreement should not be interpreted, so as to abrogate rights you would otherwise have. Thank you for so informing me, and so writing. Oh, and please afterwards assure me that there are meant to be no unexpected, unpleasant consequences for myself or for the other parties, as seen from our respective individual perspectives. I mean, I probably didn't have to say that, but why trust what you can verify? Of course. And she passes him the contract and says, I do not expect any of the terms of this contract to have any unexpected, unpleasant consequences for yourself, and I do not expect it to have any unexpected, unpleasant consequences for Sevar. You should be aware, if you are not, that abortion is under most circumstances judged as an evil act by the goddess who judges such things, Phrasma. She has her own convictions about whether it is a moral good to a person to bring them into existence. As she created this whole system, you might predict she is broadly in favor, and tends not to find it credible that an abortion is an act for the benefit of the person thereby prevented from being, and also tends to weight it as an act of high consequence. So expect, if you do it a lot, to count as evil eventually. I don't think that's an unpleasant consequence, but now it's also not unexpected. I've been expecting Keltham to get tagged good sooner or later, just with all the building civilization, says Carissa, before Keltham can parse that all out and see if he objects to any of it. For most people, an abortion ends up being one of the more consequential, person-affecting decisions they make, but, well, not for Keltham. Contessa Lavrilatha shrugs her wings spectacularly. Phrasma's heart is known to none. The queen has built a lot of schools and remains as evil as the day she claimed her office. I am confused by many things, but should not waste your own valuable time with that. Does any term in this agreement strike you as being liable to be an unpleasant surprise for future women who sign it with me, if not for Savar? No term in this agreement strikes me as liable to be an unpleasant surprise for any Chelish woman. I can't speak to women elsewhere. A Chelish woman who has never terminated a pregnancy before might find herself unexpectedly sad about it. Makes sense. Glad she's actually being cautious. Keltham reads, then signs. He considers ordering Carissa to sign, but decides against it. He is not sure how it affects legal contractual capacity and Carissa's own sense of which agreements she should honor, doesn't want to slow down to ask, and also it continues to matter to him that Carissa chooses him. He hands the contract to Carissa instead, wordlessly. Carissa beams at him and looks at the contract, somewhat unhappily. It's just incredibly stupid, on principle, to sign something a devil wrote for you after an amount of review that can plausibly happen now without destroying the mood. The fact she can't see anything wrong with it doesn't mean that much, and the fact that there's the clause about no unpleasant surprises means more, but not enough. However, they don't want to get Keltham the impression that one should treat Lurilatha's contracts as even potentially adversarial. Well, what's going to happen to her is already only bounded by Asmodeus's unknowable will and the fact that apparently being tortured enough makes her short-term worse at her job. She signs without any visible hesitation after a respectable amount of time reading it, which nonetheless would not be enough to catch a clever trap. Contessa Lurilatha takes the contract back from her and signs it herself. Thank you very much for all your time, Contessa Lurilatha. 
If there is nothing else from your own agenda, I would depart with my Carissa now. Enjoy. He's feeling in something of a hurry to get back to their mutual bedroom now. How about if he and Carissa go there? What a fantastic idea. Telling Keltham you are sad about something is apparently a very powerful weapon to be deployed only sparingly. A man's pride is his ability to successfully solve his woman's problems, if they're extreme enough that she has to bring them to him at all, knowing full well the consequences if she does. Or at least, that's how that particular masculine gender trope goes. There are obviously others, but it's one you'd worry by default might be lurking if you were a woman and hadn't been otherwise advised of a different gender trope. Decades before civilization took its current form, this is how seasonal affective disorder got cured in Dath Elan. Right, bedroom, good. Carissa, out of your clothes. Wrists into chains. She cooperates with this. You're unbelievable. I mean that. Unbelievable. I mostly can't believe it. I keep trying to figure out how it could be an elaborate prank, but you wouldn't in a million years have guessed how throne rooms look. So... And then they fucked. Even in an authoritarian country answering to hell, it's not easy to prevent rumors, at their tech level and social level. There are too many people, especially in the Imperial Palace, with enough self-considered impunity that they'd whisper a few words among each other or ask questions of another. Security may stamp out rumors elsewhere, but they've got to be able to exchange whispered rumors among themselves to do their job correctly. Or at least, that's what security wizards sure seem to think. Or Asmodean nobles, or priests of Asmodeus. They're members of the inner ring and privileged to be the ones who trade rumors if they want, while stamping down hard on all loose talk among the outers who don't need to think, just be told. And Cheliax doesn't think about informational security the same way Dathilan does. They don't have an explicit concept of information theory and probabilistic entanglement and improbable observations narrowing down probable worlds. If a top-secret civilization project requests 200 mice, and most other projects don't do that, then the mouse order is also obviously top secret. Period. Your job isn't to figure out what an adversary could deduce from a piece of unusual information, but to deny your adversaries as much information as possible. Even if you're at plus 3 SDA, they may perhaps be at plus 5 SD, and you won't see all the connections that they'll see. Dathilani children's fiction is replete with cautionary tales of fools who assumed that some fact could not possibly be deduced from the scanty, unreliable information that some slightly less foolish person possessed. Adults, of course, read about more sophisticated and plausible errors than that. Not that every Dathilani has the deep information-theoretic security mindset either, to be clear. Any real information theoretic security expert of Dathi Lan, as opposed to some random punk kid on an airplane, would have told Keltham, during the Nadal attack on the villa, that as soon as his life was no longer in immediate danger, he needed to get the shit out of those obviously strange clothes before he went into the villa, and anyone Project Uncleared got a close or extended look at him. No, not because an ideal agent could use a mere glance at the zipper to deduce precise manufacturing technology not currently known to Galarian, because the clothes are incredibly abnormal and therefore a highly improbable rare signal, and therefore represent a potentially massive update for any adversary who is smarter than you and making unknown deductions. Seriously, what the shit is Keltham thinking? A Dath Ilani proverb runs, the most important part of any secret is the meta-secret that the secret exists. 
Not literally always true, of course. For example, consider public key cryptography. Chelyax has this concept deeply and instinctively for private interactions, hiding the very existence of secrets from adversaries who'd want to pry them out of you. It doesn't think in quite the same way about most secret government projects, unless there's a specific and obvious reason why a secret also needs to be meta-secret. Tyrannies are not based on a deep respect and worry for what your lessers could do with the information they have, if they were secretly master criminals opposed to you. In an Asmodian tyranny, if you order someone not to think about something or ask any further questions, they don't ask any further questions and make a sincere try not to think about it. That, and not hiding the very existence of the secret itself from anyone, is the first line of defense around secret government projects in Cheliacs. So, if a top-secret Chelish project asks for a budget estimate on 200 mice, the project manager will think about whether they believe anything top-secret seems obviously deducible from the mouse request. And if there's an obvious way to deduce something genuinely ultra-top-secret, they'll mark the mouse order as being also genuinely ultra-top-secret. Otherwise, it will soon be widely rumored within the inner ring, this being something that would make Dathilani informational security experts spit out their drinks. That a top-secret Chelish project ordered 200 mice. No, nobody's allowed to ask for what. When Abigail Thrun issues an order, it's put forth under Crown Authority so everybody knows how important it is and what happens to them if they fuck up rather than being issued anonymously with a quantitative priority that isn't any higher than it has to be to get that job done, rounded up to make the exact quantity less revealing. Even Hell thinks that it's fine for random contract devils in Dis to know everything their own souls know. They won't repeat it, right? Who cares if their behavior changes in externally observable ways given their knowledge? Hell is playing their informational security game against mortals in Galarian, not gods or Dath Ilani. Small stones can start an avalanche. A single added uranium brick can put a pile over criticality. While Project Pet Outsider was called Project Pet Outsider, even the name of the project obviously to a Chelish person needed to be secret, since the fact that Cheliax had a pet outsider was explicitly secret. A Dath Ilani would have never renamed it Project Lawful. Even Keltham would know better than that. That means the name of the project is entangled with its contents in any way whatsoever. If the name needs to be readable at all, call it Project Artichoke or something else generated true randomly. And then deploy single-use disposable pseudonyms whenever possible. If the person doesn't need to know the project name to enable a persistent conversational subject, which they usually don't. From a Chelish standpoint, you can't figure out what Project Lawful is really doing from hearing that it's called Project Lawful. Why, it probably even gives Cheliax's enemies the wrong idea if the name leaks somehow. Nobody's going to figure out the existence of Keltham, or deduce a prospect of revolutionary military advances from that. So the name Project Lawful is fine to tell to people who are not allowed to know what Project Lawful is about. And let's face it, Project Lawful is a really cool name. Lawful is a powerful but standard concept that could potentially mean all sorts of specific things. Very evocative while also very mysterious. Slightly ominous. You could say it's a tease. As for whether it is in fact a good idea to assign a top-secret project a really cool name, well, that is something of a separate issue. When military teams responded to the Nadal attack, 
They had been very quickly informed that there was a lawful neutral detecting boy there wearing strange clothing who must be a. protected at all costs, b. not told or shown that Cheliax is evil. But they were also told that this instruction was never to be repeated to literally anyone or asked about further, and that is an instruction you follow in Cheliax. If the boy in strange clothing then channels positive energy to heal some of the response teams, Dathilani actual security expert, Ah, uh, you're obviously likewise not supposed to ever ask anything about that or repeat it as gossip. But the response team also, for example, found a burned-out Archduke's villa in which most of the security were dead, and a handful of pretty female wizard students had mostly survived. They saw a literal actual god war start shortly after this mysterious attack by Nadal. They hear rumored, even, and again hear Dathilani informational security experts spit out their drinks, that the attack had somehow been foretold a half-minute in advance. Why wouldn't that be something you could gossip about if you were a privileged member of the inner ring? You haven't been told it's really seriously absolutely secret, and you haven't been told that because nobody sees how that information leaks the secret of Keltham. There is no particular known government secret of Cheliax that the prophetic warning reveals. Why would it be absolutely classified? Obviously, as a security, you would not gossip about this with non-security, unless it was really amusing somehow, because part of being in the inner ring is that you get to know and other people don't. But it's not attached onto something classified ultra-secret by a visible, secret-leaking line of reasoning. So, it's not so secret that even security isn't allowed to talk about it. Originally, all of the inner ring people among the combat response teams who dared ask at all were told at the time only that the villa was part of a top-secret project into which they couldn't inquire further. And so they inquired no further. On paper, it was still called Project Pet Outsider then, so they obviously couldn't be told the project's name. It was clearly one of those things you're just supposed to not think about, and it was given no mental handle with which to persist it as a concept over time or compare it to other things known. Now, however, a security directive has been issued that, to avoid accidental leakage of info in case the project name gets overheard, the project is to be renamed to Project Lawful. And as a result, it is also now known that the burned-out Archduke's villa was being used by a Project Lawful, into which you are not to inquire further. This fact itself is not forbidden to be gossiped about within the inner ring. To be clear, it's just that you're not allowed to inquire further. That double handful of pretty female wizard students who survived inside a small villa library while most of the security were dead, they are part of Project Lawful. Do not inquire further. They somehow got advance warning a half minute before the attack. Yeah, that's Project Lawful. Don't inquire further. The unconscious young girl dressed like all the other supposedly wizard students, who shows to Aurasite as projecting a lawful evil aura strong enough to go with a fourth circle wizard? Shut up. Don't ask any further questions. She's part of Project Lawful. A remarkable number of these apparently young girls who are supposedly unproven Second Circle wizards seem to have acquired permanent arcane sight somehow, despite no illusions or shape changes showing up on them. It's Project Lawful. You don't ask why or what's really going on. The young man in strange clothes channeling positive energy? Him you don't talk about, period. Not even a whisper to your best friend. You don't ask if he's part of Project Lawful or not. 
You don't think any more questions. Another concept that Dath Ilanhas and Cheliaks lacks is the notion of the virality of a discussion topic. Gather five people in a hushed circle. Let one say a thing on subject matter X. While on average, each of the four other people there have 0.25 items remaining to say in response to the last item said, the discussion continues. If each reply provokes less than one, total further replies, the discussion dies out. Questions you can actually settle by thinking about them do not stay viral. To stay viral, they must somehow provoke the appearance of settleability or some other reward of talking about them without actually being resolvable. Civilization has always been very careful not to allow social media to exist. Outside of fiction discussion boards, in which you can't really be objectively wrong about anything too important, and which thus serve as an ongoing dire example to all civilization of what happens when you implicitly sort ideas by how controversial and hence viral they are. Well, if you dare to engage in ill-advised online consumerism, you can look at what happens when you do that with other topics too, not just fiction. But Dathilani do not usually do that. Why would they? Obviously it's ill-advised for a reason, one that they have no particular motivation to override as an exception. Dathilani do not grow up inside the mental world of an adversarial cognitive environment where most secrets are being kept for someone else's good and their own harm and must clearly be uncovered as quickly as possible. They've had a huge number of secrets kept from them as children and then they've grown up and found out that, sure, there were very reasonable reasons for all of that. It was for their own good, or the good of civilization, after all. The difference between a conversation topic where each remark provokes 0.8 remarks and a conversation topic where each remark provokes 1.0 remarks for an extended duration is much like the difference between a greater fire fission reaction where each neutron breaks loose one other neutrons and one other neutrons. It determines whether the reaction goes critical or not. The effects are not linear. Of course, such phenomena cannot increase forever. There is only so much you can say in rumor trading when it comes to the facts visible from the ruined Archduke's villa and the response to the Nadal attack. If it had only stopped with those aforementioned facts, the hushed rumors being traded within the inner ring would have flared up into virality that lasted for a day. And then people would have said what there was to be said about that, and stopped. If it had all stopped there, maybe it wouldn't have gone on to the next stage that it did. People can think up new bright variations on rumors and try whispering those. And some of those variations are more viral and propagate differentially. Given that this is so, why don't all rumors always constantly mutate further and further to create versions of invincible virality? And the answer as to why this does not happen routinely among the inner ring of Cheliacs, leaving aside that they don't have fiction discussion boards per se, is that the inner ring is not without its prideful skepticism. To repeat a rumor that cannot possibly be true, the sort of thing only outers would believe, is to look foolish. The known facts about the Archduke's villa and the Nidal attack are not so outrageous that, Given their established truth, you ought to consider believing almost anything else you hear about Project Lawful. Unfortunately, the facts from the Nadal attack are not all that is known now about Project Lawful. Even if you're a security, a priest, or a noble, even if you think you're part of the inner ring, you can't easily get a peek at Carissa Sivar of Project Lawful. 
Sevar is only rarely visible outside the extremely restricted area of the Imperial Palace where she usually stays, doing who knows what, and only particular top security elites are allowed to read her mind anymore. These are interesting facts, but not skepticism-shattering ones. As for the lawful neutral boy in strange clothes, people really aren't talking about him, and the military responders who saw him personally are mostly fighting at the front. The inner ring rumor circle doesn't collectively know he exists. However, Carissa Savar is not the only part of Project Lawful currently to be found in the Imperial Palace in Egorian. A certain other person, who as the only visible sample may be presumed to be representative of Project Lawful girls in general, has absolutely not been living her life in any way that would de-escalate this issue. It's mostly the cake thing, and how Pilar Pineda is already standing behind you inside the heavily warded area within the palace's forbiddance, and nobody has ever seen her teleport. But it's also that she went to Elysium, somehow, and apparently voluntarily came back, and now she's skipping through the temple halls on the way to the torture chamber to assign her own punishment for heresy, and then getting tortured, which she seems to take pretty well, and in fact starts to sing a song afterwards about how being properly punished can make you feel better until a priest slaps her to shut her up, which she obeys immediately. And if you're worried about the amount of chaotic or good aura she radiates, well, nobody except Aspexia Rugaton is authorized to correct her on matters of faith. Why? Because Pilar Pineda is one of the Project Lawful Girls, that's why. Now shut up. You don't inquire further about Project Lawful. Even for Galarian, this is not business as usual. But it does seem to be true. Credible sources of rumor have repeated the key facts. There are multiple accounts. Maybe other things might also be true. Skepticism breaks, not completely, but far enough to permit mutation and variation to propositions more interesting than usual in an inner ring rumor. The variety and strangeness of the rumors is sufficient that each one remark sparks one other remarks, people competing to say what they heard. The host population is large enough that new mutated rumors are being originated in the host population faster than individuals get bored with old ones. Replication coefficients go past the critical threshold of 1, not to 1.05, but to 2+. A phenomenon is born that appears very rarely in Golarion. Any Dathilani who reads fiction discussion boards would immediately recognize it. The victims here don't even know what's feeding on them. It's gone past rumor. It's gone past avidly repeated rumor. It's gone past wild rumors that you can hear out in one night's drinking and that most people don't actually believe. In the heart of Cheliax, within the Imperial Palace in Igorian, among the members of the inner ring of Asmodeus's tyranny, Project Lawful has become a meme. Rumors presently circulating about Project Lawful. Project Lawful was started because of a direct divine vision from Asmodeus himself. The project manager of Project Lawful committed suicide and had to be severely tortured in hell into consenting to be raised before he was put back on the project. The top weapons enchanter at the entire world wound now works at Project Lawful instead. No, she isn't actually Third Circle. Are you stupid? All of the security wizards on Project Lawful have requested reassignment. Atolmans is very concerned about Project Lawful. Rumored among Atolmans a cleared individuals only, of course. The oldest Project Lawful girl is secretly the real leader of Project Lawful. 
If an event worth celebrating happens to you, one of the girls on Project Lawful will already be standing behind you and will offer you cake. It's good cake, and eating it seems to be completely safe as far as anyone can tell. Nobody knows what happens if you refuse to eat it. You are not authorized to correct the heresies of Project Lawful. One of the Project Lawful girls is secretly Abigail Thrun. No, you shut up. She totally does that to people. Nobody at the palace knows where the original authorization for Project Lawful came from, but everybody's afraid to be the one who takes responsibility for canceling it. Abigail Thrun is negotiating with Project Lawful for the use of its women. When Project Lawful moved out of their previous location, they left behind sealed-up skeletons decades old, despite having only been operating there for two days. No, the cake girl doesn't give a shit what kind of forbiddance is up or what kind of wards were on the room. Because Project Lawful, that's why. Why, yes, that does sound potentially useful if it could be controlled. In unrelated news, I hear that Nidal's diamond supply is now in Sheliax for some reason, and that their first strike in the war was on Project Lawful. Did you think about that question for literally five seconds before opening your mouth? Starting a war among the gods isn't the most extreme thing Project Lawful has ever done. Just the most extreme thing they couldn't cover up. Project Lawful originally started in an incredibly expensive Archduke's villa that it took them nearly two full days to finish destroying on. No, I heard it was mostly gone before the Nadal attack started. One Project Lawful girl believes she's one of only twelve people Espexia Rugaton really trusts. No, seriously, that's what she was thinking to herself. The guy said, or no, her thoughts weren't otherwise crazy, so apparently every devil in hell has heard of Carissa Savar by name. Because of resurrectees who reported to their contract devil, that's why. Yes, in principle that could be true, but why would it be only contract devils who work with Cheliacs? Even barons of hell can't afford to buy the souls of Project Lawful Girls in Dis's markets. I heard Carissa Savar was chosen by Asmodeus himself. No, they didn't say chosen for what exactly, that's classified. If Contessa Lirilatha, Gorthoklek, Aspexia Rugaton, and Abigail Thrun want to meet Carissa Saver, and Carissa Saver wants a nap, guess who gets notified when who else's nap gets finished? Project Lawful's manager once managed to piss off Aspexia Rugaton, Contessa Lirilatha, and Gorthoklek, all in the same day. No shit, it didn't turn out well for him. Needed his ass pulled out of the torture room by Asmodeus himself. That absolutely happened. I was on duty. Yes, a direct divine intervention to do that would be very surprising anywhere else. You're new to Project Lawful, aren't you? Project Lawful has never made it through an entire day without a direct divine intervention. The average is usually more like three. And at some point, the gods are literally going to run out of energy to prevent whatever it is they're trying to prevent. Are we actually sure that Hell itself knows what is going on with Project Lawful? I mean, has anyone actually summoned a senior devil and checked that they know? is what I'm trying to ask here. All right, that's fair. If Contessa Lurilatha has been spotted on sight, then I'm less worried. One of Project Lawful's girls can see the future even with prophecy broken, and warned of a coming war with Nidal. But the project manager ignored her until it got to the point where she was yelling about incoming shadows in 30 seconds. Yeah, oops, doesn't really cover it. Gorthaklik didn't think so either. The project manager of Project Lawful has been cursed by Phrasma herself with all of her malice. One of the girls on Project Lawful who died during the Nidal attack got sorted to Elysium. No, they raised her successfully. Well, obviously she consented to be raised, so she could try harder for lawful evil next time. 
just as any faithful Asmodean would do in her place. Now would you care to explain why you asked a question with such an obvious answer? One of the girls on Project Lawful is constantly calling out to Takaral, who is apparently a neutral evil herald of the god Nethys. Not that anybody seems to think this could possibly be heretical or something. Asmodeus and Abadar are collaborating on Project Lawful. Because the two gods are known collaborators and it's called Project Lawful, not because it leaked via knowledge about Keltham directly. Asmodeus and Ericura are collaborating on Project Lawful. Asmodeus and Nethys are collaborating on Project Lawful. Asmodeus and Caden Kalian are collaborating on Project Lawful. Oh well, I heard that Asmodeus and Milani are collaborating on Project Lawful. Yes, of course I made that up just now. Now how about you admit the Caden Kalian thing is also made up? One of the girls in Project Lawful sometimes thinks about herself as belonging to Nethys. Not that anybody else in security seems to consider this could possibly represent a serious concern for multiple reasons. Nethys just fucking loves Project Lawful. One of the girls on Project Lawful has been rigged to explode. Secret prediction markets in Osirian are giving odds of 1. 8. That Project Lawful destroys the multiverse. Even the gods are forbidden to intervene in Project Lawful. The discovery that started up Project Lawful was made by Carissa Savar while she was serving at the World Wound. No shit, you're not allowed to ask what it is. Project Lawful has been instrumental in all of Cheliax's military victories over Nidal. One of the Project Lawful girls is secretly the heiress of a county and dresses accordingly. The library of Project Lawful looks tiny, but apparently has as many books available as a major academy library. If someone asks the Project Lawful girl serving as a librarian to go look for them in another room, not that there's a forbiddance in place or anything. The librarian of Project Lawful knows any time one of her books is damaged. The librarian of Project Lawful cannot leave her library and sleeps in a room inside it. Project Lawful Wizard girls have been spotted also casting cleric oracle spells up to Second Circle. One of the Project Lawful girls used five different cantrips in a day. Well, I mean, she wasn't obvious about it. Two different securities had to compare notes to figure it out. One of the girls on Project Lawful is secretly the cleric of a god other than Asmodeus, and nobody on Project Lawful knows who, including the girl herself. Yes, the question of how they know that is then an interesting question, and if we were talking about anything except for Project Lawful, you might have a point. All of the Project Lawful girls were completely normal before they started working for Project Lawful. Yeah, I know, right, it didn't sound very plausible to me either. So about the old halfling who detects as lawful neutral, if you can detect him at all, the most interesting theory I've heard is that he's another form of the old man. Yeah, I know it's confusing, but one of the heralds of Erori is apparently called that. How would I know why? Maybe it's called Project Lawful for a reason. A lawful outsider is being held prisoner inside Project Lawful and interrogated for information. Not a Keltham info leak, except indirectly via the name Project Lawful. Project Lawful is intensively studying the history of Taldor in order to launch a team of operatives into Taldor's past, which will convert Taldor to worship of Asmodeus in the present. 
The girls of Project Lawful are collaborating on writing a new kind of romance novel for official publication. Chelyak's most senior retired honeypot instructor was summoned to teach a Project Lawful girl to corrupt paladins more effectively. But after reviewing transcripts, the instructor said she was vastly out of her league and went home. Project Lawful goes through an awful lot of mice on a daily basis. Actually, all the Project Lawful girls except Sevar are from the current graduating class at Ostenso Wizard Academy. No, you shut up. I don't care how little sense that makes. My brother is attending that academy. Yeah, that's the same thing I was thinking. They probably were normal girls at first, rounded up for an experiment who got exposed to whatever it is that Project Lawful is studying. Project Lawful girls get to decide their own punishments, especially for heresy. Can we maybe talk in the first place about why everyone in Project Lawful who isn't security is apparently a pretty girl or beautiful woman? We're not talking about that, okay, fine. We're not talking about it. Project Lawful reports are the only known thing that causes Aspexia Rugaton to laugh. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.